on this podcast, we let it go. Because Hakuna Matata and the bare necessities will always be our guide to infinity and beyond. All it takes is faith and trust and a little bit of pixie dust. We know that life is better under the sea. Because on this podcast, we do Disney. Hi there. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Kelly Meehan. And welcome to Doing Disney. We are continuing our Fast Play 5 mini-series of favourite vocal performances per major decade, and we have already reached the penultimate episode as we discuss the 2000s. If you haven't watched Disney on DVD in the mid-2000s, you may remember the Fast Play option to skip straight to the film, so we're here on the podcast we honour that and skip straight to the five favourite choices of the topic. The 2000s, a very diverse decade to be explored today. Not only do we have many defining voices from Disney Animation Studios, but we have Prime Pixar, the rise of Marvel, and a diverse range of TV series and live action movies released at this time. Here with me today, I have two experts of this era. I have Caleb Bowman and Payson Johnson. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thanks. Uh, the 2000s are like the weirdest era of Disney. Some people yeah. would say the worst. That is incorrect. But they are like the weirdest era of Disney because Disney were figuring out what they were in this kind of, you know, post-Renaissance era. So they did a lot of different things. Some of them worked really well. Some of them didn't. But I'm kind of fascinated by everything that they did in this era. Yeah, I, um, I'm curious to hear what uh, Boat would consider to be the worst era in Disney. Uh, I also would not consider the 2000s my worst just because of, like, nostalgia. But uh, when I was asked to be on, I was like, cool, I have some uh, cool choices. But I'm not nearly as educated as uh, these two you'll also be hearing from today. But I'm very, very honored to uh, be on the show. Uh, definitely like an experimental period. That's how I define the decade as well. Definitely like throwing things at the wall and let's just see what sticks. Uh, so much, so it should be said for every Fast Play 5, there are only a limited number of spaces and many amazing choices to pick from, so hard cuts have to be made. Fast Play 5's come down to favourites, as is every category on the podcast, and each person is entitled to their picks. Just because something doesn't make the list doesn't mean we don't like it. I encourage quirky, out-of-the-box choices because the theory of the podcast is to find out how various people do Disney, so it comes down to personal opinion and how people want to make their own list. Uh, Payson, can you kick us off with your number five today, please? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my number five uh, is going to be a pick from Pixar. Uh, spoiler, it's going to be, you're going to be hearing a lot of Pixar stuff, and uh, I'm choosing a villain performance. Uh, I'm choosing Peter O'Toole from Ratatouille. Um, I would also have that on mine. Yes. Um, his role as um, a food critic, Ego, what's his full name? It's Ego. Anton. Yeah, Anton Ego. Yeah, I just think the second this character shows up, like, I just, I, I, I know it's not the voice actor performance, but I just love the design. And I think the performance that he gives um, perfectly encapsulates, like, at first it seems like the soullessness of this character and you really get the like feeling that like he, he he takes weird satisfaction in like destroying like dreams in a way and like usually like in a character like that in a movie it would kind of induce eye rolls but i think one how this character is written really helps and i think just how peter o'toole um displays the character also really helps and then just at the end when he does taste the ratatouille and just like how he's like i need to talk with the chef and then towards the end of being like, I'll have some dessert. And uh, Lewini's like, what would you like? And he's like, surprise me. I just I just get a lot of fun from this performance. And it's one that I want to spotlight. 
Uh, I, I love this pick. As you said, it really does meld so well with the design, like that really stick, skinny, thin Anton Ego design. And I love that we're using that as like a meme template now of that, that flashback moment because it's so good. But um, Peter O'Toole, what a great choice because I love that Pixar has this reverence for the, like golden age Hollywood actors. So to be able to bring someone like Peter O'Toole like back into um, the forefront of, of modern time sort of thing and in this vocal performance, I love it. Boatman, what do you think about this one? Yeah, 2000s Pixar, this would have been on my list. Uh, this would have been my number four. Uh, 2000s Pixar was so good at just kind of getting like, like you said, the golden age Hollywood actors. Like, I, hopefully I don't spoil any potential. Pick, uh, <laughs> but like, Paul Newman in Cars, or like you know Ed Asner, even even though he was really golden age, like just a lot of like kind of out of the box. James Coburn, uh, like just Chris a lot. Plum is the other one that comes to mind. Oh yeah, 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 Chris yeah. Plummer. Like just a lot of like cool old Hollywood come back to do a voice role actors, and it's like awesome. And Peter O'Toole is so good here. Like he is his monologue towards the end of the like his review. Incredible. One of like my favorite scenes in any animated movie ever. Love it. Uh, but what's your number five pick? My number five, we are allowed to do TV, correct? We are, and I hope I know where this is going. Uh, I am going with, there are 104 days of summer vacation. <laughs> I'm going with Jan Havenmeyer as Dr. Heinz Dolfenschmerz. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Like, when you're a kid, your favorite characters are Phineas and Kirk. When you get older, your favorite character is Dr. Heinz Doofenshmirtz. Like, Doofenshmirtz is the best character on that show, and it's a great show with great characters, so don't get me wrong. But, man, like, just the idea of a Saturday morning cartoon villain who isn't really that bad of a person. He just wants badly to be a villain, though he has no skill at it whatsoever. It's such a brilliant idea. And the voice is like so good because it's just annoying enough, right? If it were like 1% more annoying, it would be one of the most annoying characters on television. Like he finds that sweet spot in his voice performance of like just being like, off-putting and scratchy and high-pitched enough to where it's like a unique interesting voice and it's like you know annoying but not in a way that feels like like you can't listen to it and I think it's so good he has so many great deliveries something I quote on my average day-to-day is yeah. uh, you know I if I had a nickel for every time I was doomed by a puppet I'd have two nickels which isn't a lot but it's weird that it happens twice right like come on amazing uh, I love this choice. I, and I like how you break it down about like um, the tone and cadence and actually like the qualities of what he's putting into it. Cause I think that is an amazing point of pushing it to the line of annoyingness. Cause it is, it is a Saturday morning cartoon villain. You have made it when you have your own jingle as your name. Like that is my, that is my new goal in life when I saw it. It's like, I want my own little jingle when people say my name. Uh, Payson, you had a big reaction to this one. What do you think of this choice? Yes. Uh, my apologies with that reaction. It will not happen again, but um. Uh, yeah, this would have been my number three. Uh, this absolutely would have been my TV representative. Yeah, I think Dan Povenmire is, it is a voice that, like, 
you think of Doofenshmirtz and you hear that voice of, I will be the ruler of the tri-state area, just like, he's, he weirdly has his expectations low, and even then you know he's not going to be able to hit them, but you just love him because, and I think that voice just helps you love him so much, is like, it sounds like a stereotypical supervillain, but it's also its own thing. Uh, yeah, I I love Dr. Dubinschmerz. He's, he's the best character on the show. And yeah, Dan Povenmire is probably like 90% of the reason why I love that character, because his voice is so funny. Give me a pair of, him saying pair of the platypus, please. <laughs> Can I read them? <laughs> Carry the platypus! Carry the platypus! <laughs> Your timing is uncanny. And by that I mean completely canny! Uh, we've had a Pixar choice. We've had a TV choice. I'm going to do one of the um, Walt Disney Animated Studios choice. I'm going with Anika Noni Rose as Tiana as my number five pick. So what I really like about this voice is the perfect balance of sweetness and soulfulness that she's able to play in this. And her voice melds so well with a hopeful and hardworking young woman who dreams but is not naive because it's one of my favourite lines in any Disney song is, um, I remember Daddy told me fairy tales do come true but you have to make it happen, it all depends on you. And I really love the way that she delivers that. And that definitely comes from that um, musical and theatre background. Like, I'm a big Dreamgirls fan. So when I saw this cast, it was like, oh, like I love it. And um, I watched this clip of the Oscar panel and the screenwriters were saying um, through the audition process, they knew it was her because um, the intelligence that just came through in every line that she spoke, as well as that she just has that voice that you want to root for. And I think that's just so important of um, what this character represents. And then even Anika Noni Rose was saying, uh, not once did she think that she wasn't going to get this role because she is this person. And I think that just absolutely shines. Uh, Payson, what do you think of this one? Yeah, this is uh, Prince of the Frog is a movie that I haven't seen in a while, but it's definitely one that I did uh, consider. I thought of her and Keith David. Uh, but yeah, I think everything of what you said, I think, makes her such a great performance. I think she adds so much to the character just because uh, Tiana is like, she's weirdly one of my favorite like Disney princess characters just because of like, she doesn't want to be a princess. She wants to just own a restaurant. I think that's really, really cool. And I think the performance is also great. Uh, Bart, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think Tiana is definitely, like, one of the most interesting Disney princesses for, like, basically the same reasons Payson has said. Because, like, it's almost like she just kind of got roped into a Disney princess movie. Like, she's just a normal person who just accidentally, like, stepped into being a Disney princess. And I actually think that's a really intriguing angle play it. And, yeah, Noni Rose kills it. Like... Not just the singing, though her singing is obviously great, but like the a lot of just the the line deliveries. I think she has like good comedic sensibilities when she talks about uh, mincing. That that's a real funny bit. Like, yeah, I I think that the movie works real well. Fantastic, Payson. What do you have as number four? Yeah, this is one that like I I I didn't know who voiced this person, but the second you threw it out, I was like, I want to. Um, spotlight this voice just because I think it's just so integral to the movie. Uh, ben Burt uh, voices a certain titular Pixar character by the name of Wally. Uh, I think, like, yeah, this is just one that just like popped into my mind. Like, you can say 
computers help a little with the digitization, but like I think like all the noises like Wally makes in this movie, so like it makes the movie so much. Like it captures that childlike wonder, like Wally or oh, just I I think it's just perfect. Just watching Wally like interact with all these things throughout the beginning when Wally meets Eva, just being completely infatuated with Eva. With, with with Eve, but Wally, the reason why people think Eve is called Eva is because Wally says Eva in such an endearing way. Of course, Wally meeting Mo, I think is all, Ben Burt also voices Mo, which like, I think that also should be just Mo, Mo, I think is so, like, so great. Um, I, I am one of those people that I think, I like Wally more than Mo specifically because I think just the first 30 minutes are maybe my favorite thing Pixar has ever done. Um, and I think Ben Burt, I think uh, people should talk about him more because I think he adds so much to that character. Oh, brilliant. Byron, what do you think about this choice? Oh, yeah. That, I didn't even think about this one. This is Neither. a choice. Like, yeah. I unfortunately don't have a whole lot of like characters that aren't like English speaking or human like, like I don't have a lot of like just noises characters. Um, but like that's not because those performances aren't great because that is very difficult to like basically you have to create what this thing sounds like from scratch basically. And yeah, no, that's great. And yeah, it, he doesn't just do Wally, he does Mo too. So great pick, Payson. Thank you. Yeah. I must second that because, like, when I'm going through all like the canon of everything, I'm like, Wally, okay, who's in Wally? I'm like, okay, you got Ratzenberger and Kathy the Jimmy and like Jeff Gallo, like, like all the human characters. Like, I didn't even think for a second of like the robot characters, but you're right. Like, to give an um, a robot emotion because we all know Wally is filled with emotions as a character. Like, that is really um, a skill to do. So, I think this is an awesome choice. Uh, Bo, what's your number four pick? Uh, my number four was Peter O'Toole. For oh, it was Peter O'Toole. Uh, we are a Pixar trifecta, but not the same movie, which I think is great. For my number four pick, I'm going Jason Lee as Syndrome. So I think this is such a good villain voice, almost like a stereotypical prototype <laughs> villain voice at this point. But Jason Lee brings so much character and smarminess to Syndrome. Um, what I like about it is different layers of anger and hurt and vindictiveness that he brings to Bucky. And it's not a redemptive arc. There's not much vulnerability, but it's still diverse somehow because, as I said, he's playing on that like um, that spectrum of anger emotions and really having good range with that. And being able to be a funny character, and, of course, we get the classic, you got me monologuing. <laughs> like, so good he's just i feel like he's having fun with this and i like to see a villain have fun with what they're doing uh payson what do you think about jason lee's syndrome uh this is definitely one of the voices from the incredibles that i definitely uh considered uh yeah i think with what you said i think he just he has such a perfect whiny like nerdy voice yeah. that you would need for this character like this character should not be threatening and i think jason <laughs> lee knows that like when that voice comes out there's really nothing like 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 terrifying or like scary about it it's like no this guy's kind of pathetic and kind of a dweeb and he plays it throughout the entire time yeah just with what you said about the monologuing moment the moment where he's like oh 
Elastigirl? <laughs> yes! <laughs> and then looks over at the family, and the line he says after that I think is also really, really funny. Um, no, I just think, yeah, I, I think Jason Lee is a spectacular choice. When I got older and started watching Kevin Smith movies, I was like, that's, that's syndrome. And I think that's really, really cool. I very much had that same as well. Like, I mm. think of the My Name is Earls when I sort of like put those pieces together. I'm like, but you mean that yeah. guy? Is that guy? <laughs> like, uh, Bo, what do you think about this choice? You know, it's interesting Payson brings up uh, Kevin Smith movies because I think there's actually something really interesting about the casting of Jason Lee here. Because you kind of think about who's, you know, Buddy Syndrome is. He's a fanboy. Right, he is like you know, the you know kind of nerdy fanboy, super obsessive comics, and that's what Brody is in Mallrats. You know, asking yeah. Stanley inappropriate questions uh, in Mallrats, and that's you know I think that's why Jason Lee is such a perfect voice actor for this because this isn't someone who is a super villain because he has some massive like backstory it's because he just didn't his you know his obsession didn't respect him as much as he was obsessed with it and i think that's really fascinating and like i said he is so funny it is like such a good comedic performance too but then i like that you said like he shouldn't be threatening but at least because like when everyone is special then no one is and it goes like really deep and really low and wouldn't be something you would sort of expect so yeah i really like this one Payson, what's your number three choice? Oh, was it Dan? Number, yeah, it would have been Dan, uh, yeah. Dan Paul Van Meyer from Phineas and Ferb. Beautiful. Bo, what's your number three choice? Uh, for my number three, I wanted to make sure I shouted out, because I mostly have celebrities, not really Dan Paul Van Meyer, but he's not even, he's not really someone who I would call a voice actor either. I wanted to make sure I got in one, like, voice actor performance. And while this person's done live action stuff, he's definitely probably a little more prolific as a voice actor. Patrick Warburton as Kronk in The Emperor's New Groove. Uh, yeah. Please go ahead. All-timer, absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Talk about a voice that just makes the character. Like, without Patrick Warburton's comedic timing and just voice, like, this character is a throwaway henchman character. Like, the design, he's a character with an interesting design, but it is absolutely Patrick Warburton's incredible delivery every second that it just kills me every time. Like, oh man, the the uh, angel and uh, devil on the shoulder gag is so funny. Number three, I can do this. What does that have to do with anything? Wait, wait, he's got a point. Like, oh, incredible. Like, I love the character of Kronk so much because he's he's a henchman. But he just seems like someone who got roped into it. Like, he's just, he's a nice dude who just probably the only job he could get was henchman for evil lady. It's like, okay, well, I get to make spinach puffs. Like, Kronk is the definition of just being happy wherever you are in life. And that's what I respect about him. I love Patrick Warburton as a voiceover actor because he's not doing a completely different voice each time. Like, it is a very distinct voice. You hear this voice come through any character nowadays, they're like, oh, Patrick Warburton. Like, you pick it in an instant. But the characterization somehow is just so different. Like, each each one is just really able to make 
a fully fleshed character. And I like, as you said, like um, Croc has really sweet hobbies. Like he loves to cook. He's a squirrel. Like he speaks squirrel. Um, he's just a really got a diverse good guy range. But I like when he's up. Right, the poison for Cusco. Cusco's poison. <laughs> like, just when he can sort of flip flop between the two different good evil spectrum. Oh, the other one I love is like, is he doing his own theme music? Da, 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 da. Like, it's just it's so silly, but it's so great. Oh, Payson, what do you think about Patrick Warburton's crunk? The Patrick Warburton is one of those people for me that just like he has a voice that was born for voice acting. Like you hear that, like I like I would put him and like Will Arnett in the same like uh like category of just like oh you hear that voice like oh you are meant to vo- do voice acting and like this was I Patrick Warburton is someone who was like went with me through a, like a long time of my life and I didn't even know his name but I could tell you that voice like I would just see him pop up in so many things like I would see him pop up in like the tack video games or like family guy and I'd be like that's the same guy who voices but Kronk was the first time I heard him and he's so good like just working off of Eartha Kit who is also excellent in this movie like he's 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 so dumb but his voice like is able to like reflect that in such a great way like yeah i I think this is a great pick very much a defining voice voice role for us Mm. um my number three is it's a big one and i'm wondering if it's going to make other lists and if so why why not my number three i'm going to put billy crystal as mike wazowski Mm, 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 mm. that's making lists Mm, mm, mm. that's going to circle back pacey give us a number two choice then yeah, my number two, uh, going back to The Incredibles, uh, I'm going with Holly Hunter. Uh, Holly Hunter is just, like, one of the great, like, voices, like, regardless of voice acting. And I just think she adds so much to the character of Mrs. Incredible. Like, uh, you you hear her at, like, the beginning of the movie and, like, you can tell, like, she loves her family. But she's also, like, completely stressed out and they make her want to, like rip their head out uh, like rip her hair out uh the scenes where like bob comes home late at night and she's like i thought you'd be home at 11 like i i I think are great um the scenes where she's yelling in the airplane just like i just think this is such like a perfect like um voice acting performance when in the end when like she's starting to take charge in the city and like she's working off of craig t nelson who's like panicking and she's like why are you panicking and he's like, because I can't lose you again. And she's like, you, you got to believe me. Um, yeah, of all the performances in The Incredibles, this is my favorite Pixar movie. This is the one I wanted to spotlight. Oh, great. But what do you think about Holly Hunter? Oh, yeah, this is such a great like voice. Per- I mean, I think it was always going to be a great voice performance because Holly Hunter is just one of the most charming, likable actresses of all time. Like, she is great in everything. She's never been bad. And she is so good here because she she brings just the right balance of intensity and sensitivity, right? She sounds, you know, she's caring and loving, but she also has that level of intensity that brings the conflict between her and Bob that I think you need because, you know, you, I think the interesting thing about The Incredibles is that besides being a superhero movie, it's also kind of the story of a failing marriage or maybe not failing, but a marriage on the rock a little bit. And I think that dynamic is so interesting about it 
And I think Holly Hunter abs like the fight scene uh, in the garage, which is based not in the garage, but in the living room. That is basically like a mirror of a cheating, like I caught you cheating conversation is such a good scene partially because they're not voicing it like, oh, we're wink, wink, we're making this sound like cheating. No, we're making it, we're actually doing it as if this is as serious as actually cheating. Like, I think that's fascinating. Holly Hunter is like, when this movie dropped, like, it was definitely the time I was starting to um, get more into voice actors and, like, knowing who's at least, like, the lead couple actors of films and Pixar at the time as well, like, really pushing those celebrity voices as their two two main leads. So Craig T. Nielsen and Holly Hunter, not names that I'm familiar with from anything previous, but then watching a movie like, like, 13 or something, it was like, that's the mum from The Incredibles because Holly Hunter has just such a unique uh, dialect and and accent and and the way that she articulates things and I think it just suits Helen Parr so well as as we sort of talked about that the tendency sweetness and just an overall great mum character like she's just a mum that kicks ass and cares for you and protects you and but then I love some of my favorite scenes are actually at the beginning with her and Bob flirting with each other as Elastic Girl and Miss Incredible like you need to be more flexible like I just that that delivery sticks out in my head the most for some reason, but I, I think this is an awesome choice. Um, Boat, what do you have as your number two? You know, it's funny that Payson uh, brings up Holly Hunter because uh, I'm bringing up somebody who she's worked with before. <laughs> I'm Caleb Boatman. <laughs> Albert Brooks in Finding Nemo. <laughs> like, I, was I ever not going to pick this? Uh, Albert Brooks <laughs> in, yeah. Albert Brooks in Finding Nemo is my introduction to the greatness that is Albert Brooks. And man, does he just completely give this character exactly what it needs. Like, I I think that Albert Brooks is just great at finding humor and anxiety. Like, that's, that's his shtick. That's what he does best. But he brings a real element of, like, parental fear into this one. That is so good. Like, I, you know, I, I think of like the scenes when uh, he, you know, gets mad at Dorothy, uh, Dory in the whale. I think that is like such a good moment because you realize that it's his fears of Dory are reflecting of his fears about his own son. And I think that it is so good. But then you have his comedic deliveries in these, like when he's just talking to Nemo or the opening of like, I want to name this half Marlon Jr. and this half. Coral Jr. We can name one Nemo, but I think at least 50% of them should be Marlon Jr. Like, oh man. Uh, He's just perfect at finding that balance and that comedy within the fear that is so natural to this character. And I think it's just the perfect voice role for this character. Pixar casts stuff really well. Their casting is just, especially in the 2000s, just perfect. I was going to say, in this decade, there's no misses. Like, the way the, the ideas are there and then the animation's there and then they just backed it up with the choices. Uh, this is the one time in the history of this podcast that I've intentionally left something off of my list because I knew it would be covered by someone else. Usually <laughs> on countdown lists, I'm a very staunch, um, if it is on your list, say it, no matter what, even if you know it's going to be brought up, if it's your personal pick, say it. But this is the one time I'm like, I'm just going to sneak something else in because I know this is going to be very high on at least one person's list. I thought it might have been the number one. So now I um, am very curious when we go back around what's going to be number one. 
but Albert Brooks would definitely have made my list. Um, growing up, obviously, as an Australian, like, this was the movie, like, it highlights our beautiful uh, nature and the Great Barrier Reef and everything. Um, oh, why didn't I think of Crush? Oof. On a, when horrible mentions come back around, we are going to need to talk about that. Um, but Albert Brooks, I think I think he summarised it so well with the key word of balance because this is a character that could be so grating with the um, how overbearing that worrisome is, which is now as I'm older, I, I can empathise even greater than before. Like now I can really see that point and, and the trauma that he's gone through with losing his wife and losing everyone and why he's so overprotective of Nemo. But you're right, he needs, it's the journey that that character is able to go on to finding his son, to loosening up, to having that worldview open right up. And Albert Brooks is so great at um, that slow build to enjoying the wonders that the world has to present. So I, I love this choice. Payson, what do you think about Albert Brooks? Yeah, uh, this is definitely one of the ones I considered. Uh, I will be honest, I left two performances off my list because I knew that Boatman was going to talk about them, and this is one of them. Uh, we'll get to the other one later. But uh, yeah, no, this is... Albert Brooks is such a... Albert Brooks has essentially made his career off playing a neurotic person, and I think he brings that to this character. Like, Like you guys said, like you understand why he is so overprotective and why like he doesn't want Nemo to like go too far out of his comfort zone. And just this journey on being with um, Dory, who I also think uh, Ellen is great as uh, Dory. And like, you understand like, yeah, if we're being honest, like hanging out with Dory daily would probably be very annoying. And I think he very much like, emphasizes that but also like he doesn't want to like completely hurt her feelings and just seeing how he interacts with everyone like with the john ratzenberger fishes with um jeffrey rush um as why can i not remember his nigel. yeah I nigel i think is great and then just at the end with with nemo when nemo says i love you dad like you just feel it like no i yeah albert brooks is a phenomenal pick my number two pick is Tia Carrere as Nani from Lilo and Stitch. So this is one that I didn't anticipate making my list originally. And then when I started, like, doing the rankings, I'm like, no, I just love what Tia Carrere brings to this character. And the care and love feeling, yeah, frustration and hardships that encompasses what Nani is in this movie it just pours straight out of your career now also i love wayne's world like <laughs> wayne's world is one of my all-time favorite movies and maybe i just really love the actress as well but i think it does come through and especially in that scene where um she they're singing in the hammock together and about ohana like that just breaks my heart and that all comes from that vocal performance of that actress i think um as as i said it's it's the love for lilo but also having to grow up so fast um, and being frustrated at your circumstances and wanting to do better but can't and that push-pull, I think she just she brings it about beautifully. Uh, Payson, what do you think about Tia Carrera as Nani? Yeah, this is one uh, that definitely crossed my mind. Uh, I, I feel like I've done one of my friends on this call a disservice because uh, I have not seen Lilo and Stitch in a very, very long time, and I know how much he feels loves about it, and I've been wanting to revisit it because I also really like it, but I do not have the same attachment as they do. So uh, I will let him talk about it now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
this is my favorite animated film of all time. And Tia Carrere is so good as Nani. I think Nani is maybe the most, I don't know. I, I've Undervalued? Heard. Something like that? I was more. I was going to say that she's the most interesting character in Lilo and Stitch, but then I was going to say I don't know if I believe that because everybody in Lilo and Stitch is so interesting. But what I was going to say is I think that yeah, I think undervalued is maybe a good descriptor because I think that on the surface she's you know you, you don't really think about Nani as much. You're thinking about Lilo and the aliens and all them, but man. Nani has her whole has her a whole other movie going on on the backside of this movie. Like she is dealing with, oh, I'm trying to keep custody of my sister because we're going through a whole thing. I can't really process the death of my parents because I need to stay strong for my sister. I don't really have time for a social life, even though I like and care about David and I want to be with him, but I got to worry about my sister right now. I'm, I lost my first job because of my sister's new dog. And now I'm trying to, you know, get another job. The social, the social worker is basically an army commando. Like I'm, trying to deal with all this stuff and there's aliens like nani has her own movie going on and tira Claire absolutely kills it i love the argument scene between her and lilo yeah. uh that is like such a good scene and then kind of afterwards the you know uh coming back together and then kind of uh you know being uh that being resolved i think so good yeah she kills it this is a great pick Oh, we are up to number ones. We had a bit of a skip from earlier, so Payson, please tell me what your number one choice is. Yeah, my number one is, again, we're going back to Pixar, and I think it is maybe the best use of a celebrity voice just completely capturing the essence of a character, and that is Billy Crystal in Monsters, Inc. Uh, when I was older, uh, when I was younger, what am I saying? When I was younger, I wanted to be solely. When I grew up, I grew up, and I ended up being Mike. And I think <laughs> Mike is one of the most... Mike is one of my favorite, like, characters of all time. Like, he um, he, he is supportive of his friend. Um, he is perfectly, like, okay being the sidekick. And I think that's one of the things I love so much. And just, like, Billy Crystal's voice is, like, so perfect for that character. Um, just, like... I'm on TV! Look, I made it on TV! When, like, the logo is covering him. And just like, well, of course, uh, I was a big fan of dodgeball as a kid, too. Of course, it was the ball. Like, just everything about him, like, you get the vibes that, like, yeah, this guy is very pathetic, but he's, like, okay with it. And I think that's one of the reasons why I love it. Um, um, his, his relationship with his girlfriend, with Cecilia, um, just somehow he got her, and I think that's amazing. Just Billy Crystal is just so, so funny. Like, throughout the whole movie, like, as an adult watching, like, you emphasize, you, you sympathize with him because you understand why he wants to get rid of the kids so, so badly because this could be the end of society as they know it. Um, but just him discovering this conspiracy accidentally, I think is so perfect. Like, I, I love Mike Wazowski and I love Billy Crystal's voice to it. He's, he's incredible. Oh, great. But what do you think about uh, Billy Crystal as Mike Wazowski? Yeah, I did not have this on my five. It should have. I just wanted to kind of shout out some smaller 
performance. I, if we're being completely honest, Dan Pobbenmeyer, I wanted to put him in because I just thought that was a unique performance that I wanted to shout out. But this is an incredible performance. I legitimately would have nominated him for the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor this year. I think he is that good. Um, he is on my five, one of the few animated performances I would nominate. And I, I think he is incredible. He has so many good comedic deliveries in this. Mike Wazowski isn't Mike Wazowski without Billy Crystal's voice. Like, that's just the fact of the matter. Is He makes this character enormous wooden horse, too Greek. Like, oh, using mostly spoons, we build a tunnel. Like, oh, so good. So good. Uh, I had this as my number three, and it was definitely a hard call to make because I usually I'll limit myself to like one pick from each movie or one pick each individual actor. And I love John Goodman as Sully. I'm very like that. That was a tough call to split those two up because in previous rankings I would have just gone like this is a duo, but it's really hard because they are two very distinct voice actors as well. And like previous ones I've had like Mad Hatter March hair, like that's that's like peanut butter jelly. This one is a little hard because they are very much more distinct characters. So having to choose one, I've gone with Billy Crystal for a lot of the same reasons. It's like those comedic moments, those comedic timing, the way he punctuates his phrases and things like that. And you get to see many more interactions with different characters as well. You get to see him with, with Silly May. You get to see him with Roz. Like I love those scenes with Roz. And Payson, I think you touched on something really well. Like this is your co-worker that, at your job that loves to crack jokes and it just really does encompass that workplace culture of, of what he's bringing to it. So he does, he's got everyman vibes in this in this sort of sense like funny everyman vibes and yeah i just i think this one i agree there's there's no mike wazowski without uh billy crystal as bringing that character to life uh bo what is your number one choice uh my number one i don't know if payson has it he might be uh this is a performance that i would have given i mentioned how billy crystal i would have nominated this person I would have given an Oscar uh, this year. It is Divide Chase for Lilo and Stitch. Okay, he's right. It yeah. is Divide Chase for Lilo and Stitch. I think this voice performance is so incredible. I think this is, I yeah, I said, I believe that this is the best portrayal of a kid in any fictional medium. I think that Lilo is the most like real kid in any fiction piece. She just acts like a real kid. She's not perfect. She's not an evil spoiled brat. She's just, she's a kid. She's weird. She's awkward. She has her own weird little hobbies. She gets irrationally mad sometimes, but she's also incredibly kind at points. Like a kid. And I think Divide Chase's voice performance is so good. Let me tell you, it was so hard to pick one performance from Lilo and Stitch because this is like an incredible voice cast. But I, I think Chase just, there's something so human about her voice performance that it's just so vulnerable and so natural. It's just, it's human. It's realistic, even though it's an animated movie. Like, it's incredible. Uh, yeah, this is definitely one that, like, obviously I've, I've picked Nani, so we've got, like, the, the sister <laughs> act, which is quite cute. Um, but I, I agree. A, a lot of times it can be a little overplayed 
uh, when you're portraying a kid, like you can go a little over the top. But this is just a little girl who's like living her worldview. And I just love the way she delivers lines so matter of factly. It's like, I got to go feed Pudge, you know, because he controls the weather. Just it, It's just, it's a blanket, you know. And then there's other times, as you said, when like um, the scene where, you know, she attacks Myrtle sort of thing, like just that little bit of rage in her. Like, I just love the range that she brings to Lilo while keeping it grounded. Like it's, it is a, um, yeah, it's a mesmerizing performance, I think. Uh, Payson, what do you think of this one? Yeah, uh, this is one of the ones that I knew we were going to be talking about, uh, just because I know how much uh, Boat loves this performance. And yeah, I think, like, w with what you two said, if she she is so good at just capturing, like, what a kid acts like. And I think that is so, so cool. Like, like with what you said, Kelly, when she attacks her friend, like, it feels, like, weirdly more mean than, like, a lot of other Disney movies just because it feels more real. Like, yeah, that is what like a fight between two kids would be like. And just her friendship with Stitch, her relationship with Nani. I think it's, it's all made by um, Divide Chase's performance. Uh, yeah. Um, 2002 Divide Chase had a great year for a 2002 animated films. And uh, this is one of those movies. So yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, we are around to my number one. And she was name dropped earlier. My my ultimate performance of the 2000s starts the decade off. It started off right with Eartha Kitt as Yzma. In my notes, I have, I mean, dot, come on, dot. Like, there's nothing else I can really say. Like, it is, I'm not usually lazy about making my points, but this one speaks for itself. Like, no pun intended, but it does. Like, you've heard this voice. It's Eartha Kitt as Yzma. It's a perfect match of character and vocal characterization. I truly believe that Yzma doesn't work well as a villain without Eartha Kitt. Like the, the design is fantastic, but it's Eartha Kitt who gives her her little moments. It's the affectations and inflections that she puts on words. I never let your spinach puffs, never. Like it's so, it's so good. Ah, oh, well, back to me, like just the, the um, vaudevillian almost aspect that she brings to Yzma. And you need someone who worked on Batman, who is over the top and is Catwoman herself. Like, I, I think it is a ballsy choice of Disney at this time to draw to the top of the show of like this being a bit of an experimental period and seeing what sticks to the wall. And we're on a little bit of a downtread in this time. Like, I think I don't love Tarzan, so I consider that like the start of like, what we're experimenting with and then Fantasia 2000 and Dinosaur and this I think to have um David Spade being like a, a not as well-known comedic actor like still on the rise or like not a lead uh John Goodman is who's banking on your film and then to have Eartha Kitt who hasn't been as much in the popular zeitgeist at the time I think that is an interesting choice to make and it is just Bit, I could just start dropping Yzma lines, like even more Yzma lines, because I think she just, the the tone that she brings to Yzma is phenomenal. Uh, Bo, what do you think of Eartha Kitt as Yzma? Well, I think one of the most interesting things about Eartha Kitt in this movie is that, you know, most people know that Emperor's New Groove was originally supposed to be more of a dramatic musical uh, called Empire of the Sun, I think. Not Empire of the Sun. It was, or was it Empire of the Sun? No, um, it was because that's a Spielberg movie. It was something like <laughs> something close. Something, it had Sun Kingdom of the Sun. That's what it was. Thank Kingdom you. Uh, Isma, uh, Eartha Kitt, I believe, is the only person who was cast in that original one, and 
they kept that voice actress, which is interesting because, like, I assume that the original character wasn't quite supposed to be as comedic. She was supposed to probably be a little bit more dramatic, but it works. She plays it, I think, because she does these funny lines, but she plays them with a level of intensity that is just over the top enough to where it's funny. But it doesn't. But it still has an air of intimidation to it too, and I think that's what works so well. Is she is just? I, I think pairing. I picked Patrick Warburton, of course, from this movie, and them going off of each other is so perfect because you have her who is clearly just doing this. I'm like evil performance, and then Patrick Warburton who doesn't get it, and they're back and forth, just perfect. Uh, and when it arrives, huh? I'll smash it with a hammer. It's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Like it's, it's so good. Payson, what do you think of this one? Yeah, I I made a big gamble keeping her off the list because I was hoping someone would include include her. I'm so happy we were able to talk about her. Uh, growing up, this was like one of my favorite Disney movies, and when I found the internet, I was shocked that like people are weirdly mixed on this one. But even the people that are mixed on this one. It can recognize genius when genius is there. And that is what Eartha Kitt is in this movie. She's so, like, cartoonishly evil. And I think that's what makes this part so, so good. Like, just that design. Like, it's the perfect voice for, like, that design of, like, that shrill, like, skinny woman. Just, like, she hates Cusco. Like, you can tell from her voice, this is a woman that has hated this man for decades. Like, she has wanted to, she has wanted to take him at, like, this is a Hamlet level. I have planned this course for years, and I am finally going to uh, take my course. And just, like, you can tell, like, she keeps Kronk around just because he's the only, she's the the best option she has. And I think that's just so funny. Like, Eartha Kit just destroys this part so, so well. Yzma is an incredible pick. I'm so happy we got to talk about her. And then even at the end, like, her little kitty voice is just so cute. Is that my voice? <laughs> is that my voice? <laughs> It's great. Uh, those are our top five. So we've got a little bit of time at the end of every show to run down what are some of the hard cuts that we had to make. Uh, Payson, what were a few of your honourable mentions that just didn't quite make the list? Yeah, um, I consider Paul Newman from Cars. Like, I think of all the people from Cars, I think Doc Hudson is the best character, and I think a lot of that has to do with Paul Newman in the lead role. Um um, me and Kelly were talking before the show, but uh, Studio Ghibli uh, used to have a partnership with Disney, so Disney helped a lot with those dubs. And in the 2000s, I think Suzanne Pleshett as both Yubaba and Zaniba from Spirited Away, I think she does such an incredible job with both of those voices. So yeah, those would have been my picks that we have not yet talked about. Brilliant. Bye, Ben. What have you got? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh... Of course, my number one was Divide Chase, Lulu, and Stitch. I could have picked anybody from Lulu and Stitch. Uh, specifically, I want to shout out Kevin McDonald as Pleakley, who is just hilarious. Like, just talk about another, like, Patrick Warburton-esque, like, this was a voice built for voice acting. Like, just hilarious. And then the other one I want to shout out, some more TV. I want to shout out Kim Possible. Because talk about a cavalcade of incredible voice actors. Uh, John DiMaggio as Dr. Draken. 
like incredible. And then I also want to shout out Ricardo Montalban as Senior, Senior, Senior. Like two, like, but that whole show just incredible voice cast. Great Lyle as she go. I love. Her. Oh yeah. yes. Iconic. Um, oh, I have a much longer list. Okay, I have um, Brad Garrett as Gusto from Ratatouille would have been my Ratatouille pick. And I think Brad Garrett and John, I don't have any John Ratzenberger for this decade. I have much more of the 90s era, I think is more iconic for myself. But Brad Garrett Gusto is like that delivery of anyone can cook. And like the, the scenes of him talking with Remy are uh, phenomenal. Ellen DeGeneres as Dory, and now I have to say Andrew Stanton as Crush because that voice is so good as a surfer turtle. Like, it just works so well. Um, Liam Neeson as Aslan from Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yes, there wasn't a lot of live-action voices that I considered, but that was one that definitely stood out. Uh, Paul Newman, Doc Hudson. Christy Romano as Kim Possible is what I put down because that's just that, like, iconic valley girl voice, and usually those characters are more um, it gives me Buffy vibes where, like, she's valley girl, but she kicks ass at the same time. Like, it's a really good balance. Um, actually, Tisdale is Candace I put in because that older sister voice is absolutely iconic. I know it's not putting on a voice as much, but, like, the Phineas, like, that high pitchness that she's just able to bring to it. It's just, it's, it's everyone's, like, typical older sister. It's great. Uh, John Goodman, Sully. And Jarvis from Iron Man is my other pick because... Casting Paul Bettany in 2008 to kick off your Marvel Cinematic Universe that may, might not even go past, like, the four films if it all flopped, I think was a great move to then bring him back as Vision. So I'm always going to give props to, like, where it started there. And I just like his back and forth with Tony. He's a great British butler character, like, goes off. Uh, those are our lists. Those are our honourable mentions. Caleb, Payson, thank you so much for joining me today, guys. And we will see everyone next time. And when you come to the end... <laughs> Thank you for joining me on this episode of Doing Disney. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Doing Disney Podcast and Twitter at Doing Disney Pod. 